0: This is the Revival Leadership Podcast. All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. And today we are joined by Len Cowan, Father Len Cowan. Uh, he's a good friend of both Greg and mine, and Greg, you have a special relationship with Father Len, he's, so he's, he's, I'll let you do a little introduction in
1: there. Yeah, the, this is Len. He is literally my father-in-law, <laughs> so he's father-in-law, Len, Len Callan, the good reverend. Len, I've known you for, uh, I forget what year it is now, but probably seven, sixteen, or 17 years now. Mm-hmm. Much of which uh, has been, yeah, after uh, I married your daughter. So it's awesome to be doing this with you. And we're on location at the Abbey of the Way in, That's Worcester, right, in Worcester, Worcester, Mass, which is where um, there's an uh, intentional community of prayer here, which I'm sure Len will share more about. But it's great to be here together. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah.
0: We're, we're pumped to chat. And thanks for being here, Len. You're welcome. Um, so the first question that we start and asking everybody that we're going to start doing on the podcast is um, just how did the idea or the concept of revival uh, become important to you personally? Mm-hmm. So we'd love to yeah share about that.
2: Yeah, so um, I'm in my 60s, and so I was birthed into Jesus in the 1970s, which was a minute revival. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a time of revival when people were coming to Jesus just... A lot. Just yeah. a lot of people. Every week there'd be somebody in in our Christian fellowship in college, which was was not a Christian college, but there was just an incredible fervency in prayer, uh, manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, demonstration of the power of God. It was just part of the soup in which in which I operated. So that, frankly, I mean, even though I was birthed in that, when you're whatever soup you're born into is sort of what you live with, and you kind of breathe it. And, and drink it, and so I assumed that was normal Christian life, which I had never experienced before. I had been raised nominally in a church, actually, right near this this house that we're currently in, but, uh, but in any event, uh, so yeah, that was where I came from, and when I left college, and when we sort of left the 1970s, there was a lull that has continued in some respects until perhaps the last 10 years. Um, I was awakened, however, on a number of occasions with dreams and visions of revival of a cataclysmic kind, uh, mm. one in which I, I sort of envisioned uh, God sending tornadoes upon this area, uh, this particular region in the northeast, uh, that would both rip and tear at things uh, and simultaneously on the other side, once they'd gone by, restore uh, and, and enhance what had been destroyed uh, previously and literally had a vision in which I felt like I was holding on for dear life. Mm. Um, And the Lord's uh, word at that time was that I needed to go as deep as I could, as quickly as I could, before this happened, Mm -hmm. uh, so that I wouldn't get blown away. And then subsequent to that, it was you need to help prepare a group of people Mm -hmm. to go as deep as they can, to put deep roots into the soil of Christ and his life, So that when these things happen, uh, not only will they not get blown away, they will be grabbing others who are getting Mm. blown away and basically be saying to them, hold on to me as I'm being held by Christ. So that was kind of uh, a vision and a picture. But really, honestly, it hasn't been until uh, you, Greg, um, were touched uh, in your visit to Africa and you can... Listen to a previous podcast for that story uh, where God told you to kind of essentially prepare uh, for revival and to help others to prepare for Mm -hmm. revival. And um, it wasn't until then that I kind of began to put together that what Hallie and I are doing here at the Abbey of the Way to help leaders in particular to go deep with Christ in order so they can go deep for Christ and long with Christ Mm. uh, until he comes. Um, the Lord only recently, in the last couple of years, He said, You know what you're doing here? You are preparing leaders for revival. Hmm. Wow. So it kind of was the sort of connecting of things that had happened from, you know, 40 years ago when I was birthed in Christ uh, and these moments of reawakening of, oh, yeah, revival, yeah, awakening, whoa, uh, and not quite knowing what to do about that. Now mm-hmm. I've got some clarity. Yeah. Completely clear that that's what we're doing here, is we are we are desperately working to prepare uh, leaders who will be able to lead in a t- cataclysmic time of revival when, as I put it, all hell and heaven will break loose simultaneously. It's kind of like what Jesus said when he said, pray for those who are giving suck in that time, pray it doesn't happen in winter. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. All I know is that the Lord is saying, get some folks who are already leaders or who will be leaders, help to get them prepared deep in me so that they can be used by me. Build an, arc. build an ark.
1: Build an ark. Yeah, right. get ready. I want you to build an ark. Yeah. And, yeah. and it does, that work of preparation can feel insignificant or feel like it cuts against the grain. And it, it is like
2: the ark. It's like building an ark in the backyard. Because frankly, in the days in which we now live, even though in the West... We are experiencing a good heightening of anxiety in the culture. Uh, I think most of us, if we were really to talk to each other, are aware that the West is out of gas yeah. and that, you know, this is not boding well for our kind. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, uh, there's not a sense of oh, you know, we need we need God. Not yet. Um, not so yet. people who are, you know, going deep into God and have this kind of passion to help prepare others, it is like building an ark in the backyard and there's a certain amount of internal laughing uh, that yeah. I do it myself uh, yeah. of the sense of saying, what are you doing? Because you can get away with being a follower of Jesus or even a leader in Christ in the church today at a fairly low level sure. of Christian function. The
1: water level of God's presence and atmosphere of heaven and hell breaking loose, the water level is low. At this point, we can walk around on the ground. We don't need a boat to survive. Yeah, But kind of what I hear you saying is that, your senses and what God's been saying to you over, might I say, is it 30, 40 years it's really of ministry? The tr- yeah, both 40 you, years of ministry. Both you and Hallie have been faithfully ministering. Um, uh, you've been ministering in the Episcopal Church and now in the Anglican Church. Hallie's been part of InterVarsity. But during this whole time, the sense of the water level is going to rise. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we'll need the boat. But the time <laughs> the time to build the boat is now now, <laughs> now. yeah and yeah it's cool to hear you share this lens for me because again from my perspective I have no I I'm putting together these pieces in your life too now like I've known that you and Halle both came to faith in the revival in the 70s I heard amazing stories about that part of that was what made me so disappointed with college ministries just hearing those stories of you at Trinity Hallie at um, Wellesley and all the spiritual movement that was happening, and then you're right; it's been a, 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 like a drought right. since then, and um,
2: with notable exceptions, yeah. obviously the Holy Spirit sure. of God. And okay. we're talking West, you know, certainly in other parts of the of the world, there's just oh my gosh, there's plenty the revival happening. But our experience uh, in our particular part of this culture has been, it's a day of small things, mm-hmm. and we don't despise that. But nonetheless, the Lord seems to have, um, you know, visited us uh, with this awareness that that it's coming Mm -hmm, or even just kind of the sense he's coming. Yeah. And I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't have a fairly clear um, end times eschatology other than the fact that he will come. Sure. And whatever he chooses to do is fine with me. If this is the end... Or if this is simply a preparation uh, for the end uh, as he comes in this way, um, that's, that's fine with me. I've sort of um, given the analogy in terms of, you know, finding people like you guys, as well as perhaps those who are listening to the podcast, um, who have this sense that something is coming. Mm-hmm. And it's both a, an excitement and a sense of, oh my gosh, you know, salvation is coming, but also... Uh, hell is coming, uh, and, and just kind of a sense of foreboding of what is coming upon the world. Um, I, I sort of liken it, and again, I'm, I'm 67, so some of you uh, may have heard about this movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was one of Steven Spielberg's first kind of Outer space uh, films. 1978. Uh, My
1: kids love it. Mm -hmm. They love anything connected to the 80s. It's beautiful. We've watched it multiple times on Friday, family pizza movie night. So. So
2: the story there is that these aliens come and visit particular individuals in a fairly terrifying way, but place within them a vision of literally a thing that they're all obsessed with. And they can't get it out of their minds. And and they have to find whatever this is. And they don't have a whole lot of clues, but they just have this idea. And it turns out that the picture they have in their mind is a particular place, Devil's Tower, which is a geological formation that is absolutely incredible in Wyoming. And it turns out that it's there that the aliens are going to visit and return some of the people (laughs) that they've taken, as well as take other volunteers who wish to go with them. So similarly, I feel as if the Holy Spirit has visited certain people with a vision of revival mm-hmm. and a revision of His coming that is out of the ordinary and a little bit obsessive. It's it just, for some of us, it's like tornadoes or it's like uh, uh, it's a tsunami or it's like an earthquake or it's like a wildfire. There are all these kind of cataclysmic images that I, when I find people like this, I say, so what are you seeing? And they often describe things like this. They have these dreams or visions or images. There are certain scriptures that describe such things that become significant for them. And I believe the Holy Spirit has awakened these people and intends to use them in leadership of God's people in a time of revival. So part of my interest is to bring those people together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's so important, you know, the idea of focusing on leaders and, and, you know, not necessarily just in a position of leadership, but right? The idea of prepping people to like, all this conversation about everybody's losing their faith and falling, right. you know all this kind of and the water, like you said, the water level is not even that high yet. So like helping people learn how to swim or get in the boat or whatever analogy, right. like when it actually comes, right. Uh, right. is super important. So this little meetup uh, yeah. here, this family yeah. affair between Greg and and you is uh, well, it's right up our alley.
1: Yeah, it is. And it makes sense of all the work you and Hallie have been doing and many others, too. I think especially maybe in a specific stream of the church, maybe more of the sacramental stream, which has a memory of these um, these orders or movements in the church that have uh, that have adopted certain way, a way of life, a rule of life, mm-hmm. uh, spiritual disciplines, spiritual formation, all of these pieces have been obvious passions of both of yours. You've been mm-hmm. doing it with family camp. You've been uh, Hallie's. That's been her role in, in her varsity is spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. You led all the credo conferences in the Episcopal Church to do this. But I think what's what's helpful or what's exciting for me is I'm making the same connection you are. That yeah. it's not it's a, it's a good thing to be formed in the image of Christ. That's God's purpose for us, but. There's a special timeliness to it right now, mm-hmm. in that um, the culture is actually also discipling and even deforming. Yes, yeah. And so there's a there's an added need for there to be a group of people that are formed in Christ for when the water rises. Right. And the way you described it is folks that are operating at a higher level. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I kind of put it if you will, and this is kind of, I'm
2: sorry, it's an offensive term, but operating at a higher level than they need to. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, you can live a decent life uh, as a Western person uh, and not have a great deal of, of consecrated living. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can even lead a church or a ministry uh, and do pretty well mm-hmm. and, and kind of just do your life church-wise and then sure. do what the rest of everybody else does. And as you said, Greg, being discipled by the culture who is deforming us, which Mm -hmm. is deforming us uh, in these days, not just kind of um, a benign sort of secularism, but actually uh, a culture that, uh, uh, you know, that is is rapidly deforming the body of Christ. Intentionally. Yeah, Yeah, intentionally. And yet, you know, I've lived through the time when we talked about, quote unquote, secular humanism and the, terrible kind of atheists and so forth it's not that kind of thing it's not individuals it's Mm -hmm. just the whole soup in which we Mm -hmm. we live is is a polluted a polluted soup Mm -hmm. that is rapidly seeking to deform its cultural memory of of a day when the values on which it was based were grew out of the gospel
0: yeah right
2: Uh, and and to remove as i think it's mark sayers who says you know they want the the kingdom, but they don't want the king. Right, right. And mm-hmm. so this is developing a way of life which is exclusively focused on the mm-hmm. king and that we want him and whatever he wants of us. And yes, we do want his kingdom, but we can't have his king a kingdom without without the king. Yeah. yeah, you know, as I've been thinking about this, I, I have been thinking about John the Baptist who of course prepared for the greatest revival that ever existed <laughs> in human history, which yep. was the arrival of the Son of God on the planet. And there's been some interesting speculation, and this is only speculation, but it's actually, I, I suppose, it's archaeological consideration that at the same time as John the Baptist was in the wilderness, uh, outside of of the normal uh, channels of Israel in, in the day, um, so too there was a community called the Essenes, who were believers, uh, Jewish believers, who felt that their culture was so toxic, the Roman Jewish melange that had mm-hmm. occurred in Israel in that time, which really was a pollution uh, of the uh, the kingdom of God present, that was meant to be present in that place. They fled into the desert in order to develop a way of life by which they thought they could survive and could keep a version of the faith in God that would, would be able to then be a restorative element at some future time. And it's been suggested that John may have spent time with those people. Mm -hmm. and learned, if you will, from them uh, about uh, living by a way of life, living uh, distinct from the culture, Mm -hmm. and so forth. Again, that's purely speculative. But the difference between John and them was that John's intent was to go back into this uh, kind of messed up world uh, in the fullness of time and to announce that the king is coming and to be the first in 400 years who said things like thus saith the lord but it's possible that he uh, engaged and received support from this community which continued to remain on the outside but his vision was that that outside community that shaped and formed itself was designed by god to become an inside community that helped shape and form uh, the people of god when he would come and when he would move so again that sense that that perhaps that's what we're doing here is helping leaders uh, to develop a way of life. See John. John had a way of life. In fact, you know, followers of Jesus uh, said to Jesus, "Would you please teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray?" Which indicates that at least there was a particular form of prayer. Yeah. Most of the uh, prophetic leaders in those days who had
0: followers. Uh, would have a way of praying, but also would have a way of life. And it, Could you explain, just for anyone that's listening that doesn't know what a way of life is or a rule of life, yeah, explain what that is? A, a way
2: of life is actually, you see it in the scripture, things like uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, where you know, it describes this is how we're supposed to live. Or times when Jesus said, you've heard that it was said this, but I say this. It's, it's a defined way in which we live according to the pattern of Jesus and according to the teaching of the scriptures, so that when we find um, passages that are actually proscriptive, that say, this is what you should Mm do, we actually practice it and we uh, actually kind of put those, what does it mean uh, for me uh, to resist the devil, for example? What does that look like? What does it mean for me to pray and to fast? And so on, so I, and usually best done in a relationship with another group of people, whether it be a family or more likely a group of people perhaps right. in a church or a Christian community, we develop an agreed upon way in which we're going to live our life in right. Christ. Right. And uh, and in in the best of those communities, some of which later on were communities like like the Assains who who, you know, again, stepped away from their culture. And throughout church history, there have been these communities that yeah. have developed and, right. and have kind of got, stepped yeah. aside, uh, some of them in actual physical spaces yeah. uh, and developed a, a way or a rule uh, yeah. of life. And this has been true in, in Protestant, Orthodox, and Catholic tradition, mm-hmm. that there have been communities particularly focused on prayer, Um, But some of them have been communities. More recently, the kind of so-called new monasticism have been Mm -hmm. people who've been concerned for issues of justice and compassion, particularly in places of devastation and of want, uh, who band together in a way of life in order to be able to sustain themselves Mm -hmm.
0: to meet that need. So, So that's focused on, you know, that's a great definition of way of life. So we haven't really talked too much on the podcast about... Um, this idea of uh, living a certain way or, or personal holiness um, or consecration so I mean, we've talked about strategies and definitions and histories uh, and we'll keep doing that but um, why can you can you talk a little bit and Greg you know you can jump in on this too because I know you have thoughts but how and why uh, I mean it might not sound like an obvious question but how and why is personal holiness hyper important maybe yeah to someone who is, wanting to be ready to lead in times of revival well again i think between now and the time when god
2: moves in power and kingdom manifestation and demonstration of of his presence um we live in a culture uh that is that is uh just deforming us uh it, it's like you know we're a we're uh uh, a lump of uranium that's slowly, you know, just developing a half-life, mm-hmm. just by virtue of our mm-hmm. being out, uh, sitting out in the middle of, of whatever it is, or we're like a coal that's well, like losing a heat.
1: a piece of metal that's sitting in a container of acid. There
2: we go, yeah, yeah. any number of those analogies. And so no, no kind of defined way of life, no kind of intentional, consecrated living in Christ means that there will be a degradation and eventually a loss of a functional um, way of life uh, uh, or even a loss of of identity as as a follower of Jesus. And we've seen recently some fairly spectacular kind of losses of Christian identity on the part of people who've been leaders Mm -hmm. uh, in in the church who now have concluded this is just a, a waste of my time. And I would imagine if we, were to, if we were to consider and have an opportunity to interview some of those folks, we would find that in some way or another there was a, a failure uh, to engage a consecrated way of life and to do so in, with the support of others. And, yeah. and that that, over time, resulted in a degradation of life. So it's absolutely essential, I think, for survival... But for those who are, would presume to lead in a time of revival, it's absolutely essential, um, both because uh, there needs to be um, those who have lived at a, at a level of life over a period of time so that when they are called by circumstance to have to live at a high level of consecration, they're naturally. not making it up as sure. they go along. They're sort of able to say, I'm already swimming mm-hmm. uh, right. in, in, this, in this particular level. And I can show you how. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, so, you know, that sense of, uh, of how, es- how essential that is. At that time, um, anyone who's going to be a follower of Jesus will be radical for him and will be inviting others to be radical for Jesus right. for their survival and for their continued blessing of a world that is, is falling apart and people who are desperate for something
0: yeah, yeah.
1: it, it like, reminds uh, me of the story of shadrach meshach and abednego living in babylon mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. so the, the this story of um or daniel for instance they were living in babylon and one of the things they resolved early on was not to defile themselves yeah. so in other words how did they living in a declining culture that was that was opposed to god or turning away from god but that would tolerate them living there and was really had a goal of assimilating them into mm-hmm. the babylonian culture they were able to maintain a, an identity and, and this, in some parts this was these were secret personal practices mm-hmm. we're not just not going to eat this kind of food right. in daniel 1 8 but later on it's um their monotheism Came into conflict conflict with the Babylonian culture, Mm -hmm. the acid of the Babylonian culture, and the and so the the deal was well, you guys can worship Yahweh, the you know your God, but just when you hear the sound of the zither and the lute and the whatever lyre and whatever, you just have to bow down to this golden statue. Mm -hmm. And they said we can't do that. Yeah, and so they were that was partly consecration that. if they had not done that or it, later on in under the Persians, Daniel had a habit of praying three times a day, mm-hmm. which was built over an entire lifetime. Like mm-hmm. right? So he was he didn't need to do that, but he was operating at that higher level. And eventually that was what God used as the salt yeah. to uh, to reveal the contrast between the, the God Daniel worshiped and the God of the Babylonians. Yeah. Um, but Jesus says if the salt loses its saltiness, what, good is, what it? good is it? And partly the question I think for us is when the time God moves in revival, will there be a group of Christians that are in any way distinguished, differentiated, yeah. salty, mm-hmm. yeah. different that are embodying the ethics of the kingdom instead of yeah. the values of the world around us? Yeah. Yeah. And if there is no distinction, it's going to be very hard for God to use those people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
2: uh, when I was kind of raised in revival-type thinking, I thought of it as being this kind of ushering of in of this golden age, and that there would be this kind of just this, the ascendancy of the Western culture. I mean, I was ostensibly clueless. And that revival was seen as, you know, everybody getting happy in Jesus and won't that be wonderful and we'll all just be great and then maybe he'll come and we'll just get out of here and that'll be awesome. But I just, since then, I just don't really necessarily see that happen. Again, that's some view of revival, but most of what you see in the scripture and church history is this cataclysmic kind of inbreaking of God? That includes the inbreaking on our life. Sure. You know, that everybody's gonna, this isn't gonna be like we're sitting out in Goshen and nothing bad happens in our part of the world. No, this is gonna include us. So we need to be prepared for the cataclysm to affect us, whatever that is, but that we are already living with Jesus at such a level that we can survive yeah. and even mm-hmm. thrive and even function. Uh, in terms of our discipleship and leadership mm-hmm. in a time of, uh, of real uh, struggle and, and challenge yeah. for the whole world. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's what we're trying to trying to shape.
0: All right, friends. Well, that's all we have time for today. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Father Len and uh, we'll jump into talking about the importance of community uh, as we discern our way of life together. All right, see you next time.